Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The creation of the Mescalero Apache Reservation was a bittersweet event 150 years ago. It ended decades of conflict and brutal treatment by the U.S. government and created a homeland that proved to be fertile ground to grow the tribe's future cultural and economic strength. At the same time, it was a fraction of the land the Apaches once occupied. The tribe is marking 150 years of benefits and costs living on the Mescalero Apache Reservation. We'll hear more about it right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Wisconsin and Michigan reported some of the worst air quality readings in the world Tuesday due to wildfire smoke from Canada. WXPR's Katie Thorson spoke with one of the tribally owned air monitoring stations in the northern Wisconsin region. Part of Madeline Cummings' job as the Forest County Potawatomi Air Quality Program Manager is to make sure people know when the air quality worsens. She issues orders to raise a couple flags throughout the reservation, indicating the air quality. The color matches the National Air Quality Index, which ranges from green for good to mauve or maroon for hazardous. Cummings has done this work for nearly 20 years, but it wasn't until recently that she's seen some of the worst air quality. Just in the last three years, that has just jumped up. And of course, this year, it's I don't know how many I've issued. And Two years ago, when there were the Canadian and northern Minnesota fires, you know, we that's the first time since I've been here and since we've been monitoring that we went, you know, purple, even went um, mauve, which is the highest level. Forest County Potawatomi is one of seven tribal reservations in the country to hold the same air quality designation as national parks and wilderness areas. The station monitors for particulate matter, ozone pollution, and sulfur dioxide in the air, as well as a visibility monitor. That is the data that's used then for the AirNow site, which gives you what the current air quality is, and they also use modeling then to do forecasting. Cummings urges people to take air quality reports seriously. Breathing in smoke particles and gas can lead to respiratory and cardiovascular issues. I'm Katie Thorson. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has released an updated population estimate for Cook Inlet beluga whales in Alaska. In 2018, the best estimate stood at 279. Now it's 331. KNBA's Hannah Bissett has more. The population estimate for Cook Inlet beluga whales has been delayed since 2018 due to challenges such as the pandemic and weather restrictions. It's finally been conducted this year, providing important information about the current status of this endangered species. The population estimate pool has been raised by around 100 whales. According to NOAA biologist Paul Wade, the new development shows that the population is finally stable. However, when we look back over the 10-year window, because 10 years gives us enough data points to, to make some sort of conclusive statement, it looks like it actually was declining and then increased, and then overall that evens out to being stable. According to the latest population survey conducted by NOAA, the new estimate indicates an improved count. This change could be impacted by several factors, including, but not limited to, points of pollution and decreased noise pollution. The actual cause of the median increase is still being studied. As to get an accurate idea, you would need multiple years to showcase the incline. 
Reagan Davey is a chemist dedicated to advancing research and resources to enhance our understanding of Cook Inlet beluga whales. Davey emphasizes that a decade ago, a list of contaminants of the Cook Inlet was identified. There are hundreds of mixing zones that are approved for the Cook Inlet. However, the tests taken to showcase the pollution in the mixing zones have yet to yield definitive results regarding every impurity found in the area. What I think would be great is if they did have to test for every contaminant because then you could directly relate it to a source, but that's not how it goes. So, and they do issue and report what is over the limit. They don't have to test for everything. The incline of the median still needs to be thoroughly dissected to get a complete picture of how the belugas are truly doing. I'm Hannah Bissett. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, hosting today's show in Juneau, Alaska. The Mescalero Apache tribe is commemorating a big milestone in their history. This year marks the 150th anniversary of the executive order that established their reservation in southern New Mexico. It ushered in a new way of life and signaled the end of decades of hardship as a result of conflicts with the U.S. and Mexican governments. The nearly half-million-acre reservation is on their original homelands. The tribe hosted cultural and festive events to mark the signing of the executive order by Ulysses S. Grant in May 1873. They also acknowledged the tragedy and mourning their ancestors experienced getting to that point. In this hour, we'll learn more about Mescalero Apache history and how tribal leaders lead their people through difficult situations. Please join our conversation. Has your native community recently marked any historical milestones, treaties, battles, marches, good or bad? Tell us how your community honors historical resilience. We're waiting for your call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our first guest on our show today is joining us from the Mescalero Apache Reservation, Jacob Dakai. He is a councilman for the Mescalero Apache Tribe. Councilman Dakai, welcome to our show. Good morning. Uh, It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Good morning to you as well, Councilman. Also from Mescalero is Dwayne Duffy. He's another Councilman for the Mescalero Apache Tribe. Councilman Duffy, welcome to you as well. Thank you for that. And good morning to all your listeners. And I do appreciate the time you're affording us this morning. 
But we appreciate the time you're affording us as well, Councilman. And our third guest is also from Mescalero, Pascal Njadi. He is a language and cultural assistant for the Mescalero Apache tribe. And of course, he's also Mescalero Apache. Pascal, welcome to Native America Calling. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for, for allowing us to... to uh comment about this momentous occasion for the Mescalero Apache people, and I'm honored to be here along with uh, the other callers. Absolutely, Pascal. And yeah, let's talk about this momentous occasion, the 150th anniversary of the executive order that established the Mescalero Reservation. I'd like to begin with Councilman DeKai. And Councilman, please tell us, how significant an event is this for the Mescalero Apache tribe? Are people in the community talking about it? And if so, what are they saying? No, definitely, definitely it is a uh, momentous event that our people uh, are commemorating. Uh, it, it, you know, marks uh, 150 years, you know, as you said, an uh, introduction of uh, resiliency and, and to be able to say that we're still here, you know, even after everything that we've been through as a people. And what are some ways that the tribe is acknowledging this milestone, events, activities, etc.? Uh, well, actually, on on the date itself, May 29th, uh, I believe, was um, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we did have a two days uh, commemoration event, uh, what we call a, a uh, blessing feast. Uh, so the tribe hosted uh, dignitaries from around the state of New Mexico, uh, some of our legislatures up at the, the uh, federal level, uh, to come down and and visit us here in Mescalero and and. Uh, be a part of our what we call the blessing feast, uh, two-day ceremony, uh, as a way, you know, for our people to uh, remember how how fortunate we are. Uh, that was one event that we did. Uh, we did um, a a viewing at our resort in Mount Gats Resort and Casino, uh, where we uh, hired uh, Mr. Pascal Injadi to. Uh, developed a film that talks about the, the history of the tribe. Um, so we, we've got more events planned uh, throughout the uh, uh, second second half of the year. Well, it sounds like a full calendar of events, and uh, we'll definitely ask Pascal more about this uh, film that he was um, contracted to. To, to produce there for the tribe. And I also want to bring in Councilman Duffy now. And, and Councilman Duffy, what are your thoughts on the 150th anniversary of the reservation? Uh, you know, considering it, that it was the 150th anniversary and just kind of thinking back to where our people come from, the struggles that we had to endure fighting against two governments and, you know, seeing our populations decimated and to see where we're at today, you know, we were... Uh, put on a reservation. It originally was established uh, with over a million acres, and today we sit just under half a million acres. And just to see how much progress and the resilience of our people, the industries that we were able to establish, the businesses, and, you know, here in the Mescalero Apache Reservation, we have one of the best world-class resorts in the country, uh, the Innova Mountain Gods Resort and Casino. And, you know, we host visitors from all over the country, uh, you know, northern Mexico, and we have a, an awesome ski resort that people frequent during, uh, you know, Ski Apache during the winter. And um, just looking at the natural resources that we've uh, been blessed with, our, uh, you know, our population is growing year after year, and 
Um, and just like every tribal community, you know, we are working hard to meet the challenges and meet the needs of our people. But just to see how resilient our people have been, how we have been able to create uh, success out of uh, detriment. And, you know, just during the celebration itself, just to see the smiles and hear the conversations that were taking place and just reminiscing, you know, uh, 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 on the days of old and hearing from our elders of what it was like, uh, you know, when they were growing up and some of the challenges they faced to what we see now. And so it, it is a monumentous occasion. So, you know, you, you see the history of the reservation systems. You, you see, uh, you know, relocation efforts. The federal government had it put in place, the boarding school eras. Uh, you know, everything that they have done to minimize and decimate tribal uh, you know, tribal populations, and to see those tribal populations thriving and being successful, you know, that's what it's about. And so it's it's been great. It's been great, you know, uh, being able to share this not only with our tribal members, but with state leaders, with our national leaders, and with our friends. And, um, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to the other events that are going to be planned throughout the year. Councilman Duffy, you definitely describe uh, a story of perseverance of your people. And, and as somebody from New Mexico, a Pueblo person, you know, I've watched in awe over the years as uh, the Mescalero Apache tribe has been such a leader with regard to economic development and some of the initiatives. And we're definitely going to talk about that today. But before we do, I would like to talk a little bit more about some of the history. And I want to go back now to Councilman DeKai. And Councilman, please tell us about uh, the bands of Apache people that, that live on the Mescalero Apache Reservation, because it's multiple bands, right? Yes, sir, that's correct. Uh, we do have three bands of Apache that live here in the reservation. Uh, there's the Mescalero, there's the Lapan, and the Chiricahua. Uh The Mescaleros um, originate here in the south-central mountain chains, uh, Sacramento mountain chains in New Mexico, uh, and they've had a, a, a you know, unique history building up to the, the uh, executive order. They were first taken to Bosque Redondo, uh, where they were, you know, put on a reservation there uh, in the 1860s. Uh, and they were placed there um, until the late 1860s when they uh, managed to take off from the fort at Bosque Redondo. And they fled you know, back, back down here to the um, Sacramento Mountains uh, where eventually the, the executive order was issued uh, establishing the reservation here. Uh, and moving on to the Lapans, their uh, territory was pro uh, predominantly in the Texas region, uh, spanning as far out as uh, San Antonio. Uh, they were, um, some of them were mi missionized Indians. A uh, few of them managed to escape uh, that that um, type of lifestyle, and they um, made it back to Muscularo. Uh I believe the first bunch that made it to Muscularo were the early 1880s, late 1870s, somewhere in that time frame. Um, and then uh, the second... Uh, bunch of Lapan that came to Muscleroe were in 1904, 1905, somewhere there. Uh, that bunch, they were imprisoned in Mexico. Um, and it was with the help of a parish priest 
and the Indian agent here in Mescalero at that time, uh, he, he actually um, contracted the, the parish priest from Tularosa to go down into Mexico uh, to bring bring the um, last remaining bunch of the Pan Apaches back up to Mescalero. Um, and the, the third band is the Chiricahua Apache. Uh, so while Mescalero and the Pans were having their own you know, uh, history uh, at that time, the Turkawa were also having their own um, history being being uh, written at that time as well. They were uh, going on what they, what was called the Apache Wars, um, and so that's where you hear about some some more of the uh, more well-known uh, Apache leaders, such as Geronimo. Uh, Mangus, Colorado, Naichi, all of those guys. Um, they were sent to uh, Florida, Alabama, after they finally surrendered to the U.S. government. And they were sent there as prisoner of war. Um, I want to say in the 1890s is when that happened. Uh, okay. And it was then determined that they would be sent to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, uh, where they were held as prisoners of war until 1913. And that, after that, okay. that's when they were finally uh, released as prisoners of war. Well, we're getting a, a wonderful history lesson here from Councilman DeKai from Mescalero Apache Tribe, learning about the three bands. And, of course, uh, the Mescalero Band, uh, the reservation now sits on their original homelands, hence the name Mescalero Reservation. Folks, we've got a lot more to talk about with regard to the 150th anniversary of the executive order that established the reservation in southern New Mexico. We'll be right back. At any given moment, Native volunteers are standing by to search for missing people on tribal land. Searchers might use boats, aircraft, dogs, and even drones to help find someone who's gone missing. We'll get an idea of what different tribal search and rescue operations have in their toolkits to help save lives on the next Native America Calling. calling all warriors. It's time for self-care. Warriors all deserve a chance to be at their best to protect their loved ones. For more information, visit go.cms.gov slash men's health checklist. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Oh, You are listening to Native America Calling. We're talking with Mescalero Apache tribal leaders today about their tribal history and what it means to mark the 150th anniversary of their reservation in New Mexico. If you have questions or comments, call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got a couple of Mescalero Apache tribal councilmen on our show today. The first one is Jacob DeKai. And Councilman DeKai, before break, you gave us a, a really good overview of the three bands of Apache that, that now live on the reservation, the Mescalero, the Chiricahua, and the Lipan. And um, tell us a little bit more of this history. And, um, you know, the reservation was established by an executive order from the president. But what led up to that event? Uh, so what 
what really led up to that event was the fact that uh, when the Mescalos were taken up to uh, Bosque Redondo, um, you know, they were there for about four, four or five years. They were just getting the hang of uh, uh, learning how to farm and, and do things like that, agriculture. Um, when the U.S. government, you know, then decided to bring in uh, the Navajo from uh, Window Rock area, and they, you know, just wanted to put the Navajo there on, the, on that reservation with the Mescaleros at Bosque Redondo. Uh, the Mescalero numbers at that time were about four to 500. And so with the addition of the Navajo, they were bringing 9,000 Navajo uh, members, uh, which, you know, it, it caused a lot of um, uh, more uh, heartache on the Mescaleros. Um, mm. So the Mescaleros, you know, just got tired of fighting for food, uh, fighting for, for uh, the ag- agricultural land and stuff like that. Um, that they just eventually took off uh, from from for for um, uh, the port at Bosque Redondo, and so they instead of you know coming back as one group to the Sacramentos, uh, they they all split off into different uh, groups, and at that point, um, U.S. government they were having a war of their own in the 1860s. Uh, um, I believe it was the um, uh, Civil War at that time when that uh, had occurred. So they were, you know, investing all of their resources and funding at that time that they simply didn't have enough funds to to go after the Apaches. So then, mm-hmm. you know, the fastest um, resolution to them was to just give us the, the our reservation here in the Sacramento's. Okay. Thank you, Councilman Zakai. And I, I want to go back to Councilman Duffy now. And, and Councilman Duffy, I mean, Apache have this really great reputation throughout Indian country as, as being these these fierce fighters, these resistors, these brave, brave um, folks that just went out there and just gave it everything they had. And, and earlier, you know, it was mentioned names like Geronimo and Cochise and some of these prolific leaders. And um where did that confidence and resilience come from amongst the Apache people, Councilman Duffy? You know, I, I think, especially coming from, uh, you know, my position growing up here on the reservation, uh, you talk about, you know, that individual resilience and that confidence. And I, I think, you know, looking back at our, the warriors of old, a lot of that confidence and I guess that eagerness uh, to defend their people was exactly that in the defense of our people in defense of our homeland to ensure that, you know, we always had freedom to move, uh, freedom to live the Apache way of life. You, you know, I think uh, looking at our warriors, they saw what was coming. They, they, the, the encroachment that was taking place and, you know, what was being brought with that in- encroachment, you know, disease, uh, they saw the alcohols and they saw the uh, early attempts of assimilation and, of course, their fear of losing that uh, Apache way of life. And I, I think that's what really drove that resistance, uh, drove the resilience to maintain that way of life, to maintain uh, our, our homeland, and which gave our warriors that courage to stand and fight, to, to, de- to defend 
the Apache way of life and, you, you know, just seeing all that that was coming. I mean, even now, uh, you know, in this modern day and age, uh, I see how difficult it is, you know, competing with technology and, you know, seeing uh, all the all the things that are coming about and ensuring and fighting to uh, instill in our younger generation, uh, you know, those the traditional Apache way to preserve and protect our language and how important it is and how relevant it is. And, you know, we're today we're still fighting for survival uh, of our language, of our tradition, of our cultures. And um, it seems like that that fighting in itself is going to be an ongoing thing. And, uh, you know, obviously from my position as a tribal leader, I don't want to see us lose any of our ways, our language. And so, you know, I, I back and I fight for the preservation of those things that we hold sacred. Mm-hmm. Councilman Duffy, I'm glad you mentioned the, the language component, because that would be a great place now to, to bring Pascal and Jotty into our conversation, who is the language and cultural assistant for the Mescalero Apache tribe. And Pascal, listening to both councilmen describe this history and what led up to the creation of the reservation, I, I would imagine that uh, life sure did change quickly when that reservation was established and the bands all came to reside there. Can you talk us about, tell us a little bit about that period of transition and how the Apache way of life changed once they uh, all lived there on the reservation together? Sure. You know, the original uh, homelands of the Mescaleros was uh, over 5 million acres. It went as far north as Las Vegas, New Mexico, far east as maybe uh, the, the the hills of, of Texas and, uh, near Fort Worth, down south into uh, Mexico. It's a, a, it's a vast territory, and to go from that vast territory in numbers of thousands of people, thousands of mescaleros get 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 put onto Bosque Redondo and leave in Bosque Redondo with 400 mescaleros that eventually made their home here in Mescalero. Uh, that was a huge change of lifestyle for them. Uh, but the main thing that they they really wanted to accomplish was 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 facing the United States government, facing the Mexican government, facing. Uh, the Republic of Texas, and, and calculating what risks are necessary for survival. I think, you know, we need to give a lot of credit to our, our, our leaders at the time to make a decision to say, I want my grandchildren to live in, in peace. I want my great-grandchildren to have a place that they call their own. And, and you know, the establishment of the re- reservation allowed them that opportunity to do, to do it. Uh, it took maybe another uh, 30 to 40 years after the establishment of the reservation to get housing for the Mescaleros. It took uh, a series of time to really get the economic engine driving in the 60s. So there was a lot of transformation needed, uh, and our leaders at the time saw that that needed to happen. But as as it pertains to the language and to the culture, that's something that we still continue to hold strong to us today. It's important for us to speak with the animals. It's important to us to speak to the cosmos. They're always giving us lessons on Apache life. It is up to us to respond and to listen carefully to see what the future holds for us. And using our language is, is a strong component of keeping that alive. We have to communicate with 
one another. We have to communicate with the earth. We have to communicate with the air, and it will help us go to the future. And I would just imagine that's what our leaders did back in uh, the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Well, Pascal, the way you describe it here, your people were, were negotiating and, and, and battling on three fronts, the Republic of Texas and then the countries of Mexico and the United States. So, boy, they sure had their hands full during that time, and yet they were able to persevere. So, Pascal, I mean, what do you think is the most significant uh, aspect of, of this anniversary of the Mescalero Reservation now 150 years later? If I think about our, our grandparents, our grandparents, uh, you know, lived 60 years ago. From where they were at and where we're at today is, is night and day. And I'm grateful for them to, to live through that, for us to be here today. Now, sometimes we have to give thanks. We have to give thanks to, to people. We have to give thanks to a generation that allowed us to be here today. You know, going forward, we have to make decisions, Me, we being members of the tribe, that's going to continue to hold our people strong. We're going to continue to make decisions that hold our culture strong, continue to make decisions to hold our language uh, with respect going forward. You know, we have to continue to think better for our people, not, not, not relations, not family, but our people as a whole. We number uh, over 5,200 Mescaleros today. And that's something that we need to be proud of and be, be mindful that, you know, we went through the worst part of, of American history as winners, as survivors. One mm-hmm. thing that, that's important to note is that establishment of the reservation meant several things. Is number one, the United States government couldn't get rid of us. So we have to find a place for these muscular peoples that they, can, uh, that they can call a place for their own. And that's something that we very prideful with ourselves is that the United States government couldn't defeat us, so they had to provide us a home. And that's something that, you know, we're, we're grateful for. This is a beautiful, you know, half million acres of, of, of island beautifulness here. We have trees, we have mountains, we have streams, we have lakes, we have animals, we have a majority of our traditional plants and our medicinals still here on the reservation, and it's something that we, we take very, uh, we're very proud of it. Pascal, thank you for those insights, and um, and let's talk now a little bit more about the present, and, and I want to bring Councilman Duffy back into the conversation, because as you mentioned, uh, the reservation now, uh, about half a, a million acres, and at one point it was a million acres, and it sounds like from what Pascal described at one point, the, the, the ancestral homelands of the Apache people were about five million acres, I mean, just this vast, vast territory. But boy, you folks have really, really done well, and especially I'm thinking back to the 1960s and when when the Mescalero really established themselves as these economic leaders, not just in the Southwest or in New Mexico, but across Indian country. And can you tell us a little bit about that period, uh, Councilman Duffy, when that enormous economic progress was made for your tribe? So, you know, you look back in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, uh, you know, a lot of the success of the tribe can be zeroed on in on one of our more famous tribal leaders, mo- modern-day uh, tribal leaders, late Wendell Chino. Uh, you know, back then, he saw the need, uh, you know, here in Mescalero. And working with his tribal council, they they pushed forward, 
you know, holding the uh, federal government to their trust responsibility in providing housing infrastructure. But he also knew that the Mesoplural themselves had to stand on their own two feet and look at ways of gen- generating revenue uh, on their own. And, you know, one of the key terms that the late Mr. Chino did coin was red economics, you know, the belief in, in, in reservation economics and, you know, that tri- tribal self-reliance. And so he led the way in the the way in you building the first uh, destination resort on a reservation in the country, you know, the Mountain Gods, and, you know, it's a place where uh, our, our friends from off the reservation come and enjoy the mountains here in Mescalero. Um, you know, he led the way in developing the cattle industry here on the reservation, the, you know, the logging industry, um, you know, developing a, a tribal store and ensuring that, you know, the, the uh, tribal government could meet the needs of tribal members. And, you know, as we go forward, uh, you know, led, was one of the tribal leaders along with the uh, uh, late Pueblo Governor um, uh, Villarreal from the Pueblo of Pauaki. They led the fight for tribal gaming in New Mexico, and, you know, they won that mm-hmm. fight. That's why we were able to enjoy, you, you know, the, the uh, casinos and the revenue that we generate uh, from those casinos to support, you know, our our, our tribal departments in delivering, um, you know, economic resources to tribal coffers. And and so, you know, I applaud uh, the efforts of Mr. Chino, his council at that time being supportive of the efforts and seeing uh, what was necessary and what we had available to us on the reservation and really uh, standing behind one another to ensure that that vision, uh, you know, uh, came to fruition and that we were able to establish a vibrant you know, tribal economy back then, um, you know, we're still reaping the benefits of uh, today. And of course, you know, we still have to make adjustments to make sure that we remain competitive, uh, not only within the region, within the state, but within the country. And so always being innovative and progressive with our thinking, you know, you know what can we do next? And where, where's a niche that, you know, we can move our economy and start generating more funds for our people. Councilman Duffy, hearing you describe Wendell Chino as the leader that he was and and such a prolific figure in Indian country throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s as well. And, um, you know, in addition to that, too, he was just such a big, larger than life personality. I mean, he was like a real superstar. And I I saw him speak on more than one occasion. And I'll never forget one time he got up on a podium and he was addressing a bunch of different native people from tribes all over new mexico in the southwest and he said navajos they make a lot of silver pueblos make a lot of pottery down in mescalero we make money and, and i remember the crowd just kind of just sat there but he was like shell-shocked but but boy that 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 leader was was prolific and uh and how is his legacy celebrated still there on the reservation after his death it's been a number of years now so, you know, taking everything that the late Mr. Chino was able to accomplish here in Mescalero and, you know, uh, being a tribal leader myself, you know, I think back to you know, the, his legacy and what he was trying to accomplish, the way he worked with councils and, you know, the way he engaged with tribal members. And I think that, you, you know, it, for us as tribal leaders, for us as a, a tribe as a whole, all of our tribal members, you know, the way we, you know, continue to honor that legacy is continue to move forward, continue to be successful and build off of those foundations that were laid by him and previous council members. 
I mean, you know, you can't go a day uh, without tribal members. Uh, you know, I remember when the late Mr. Chino used to do this or used to do that. And so his presence is very much still alive today with everything that we do. Um, there is that guiding presence there, you know, with with setting as setting a bar uh, with when it comes to being a tribal leader. And, you know, a, as one person once said, you know, there will never be a, another Wendell Chino, but there could always be someone you know, greater, learning from his, uh, you know, his past victories, his past mistakes, and, you know, moving the tribe forward. Um, and so, you know, I think every day that this tribe is, you know, we're able to move forward, we're able to be united. It's really a, a testament to what they were, uh, him and previous councils were able to uh, lay a foundation for. The term red economics, Wendell Chino was a leader in that regard. And, and we're gonna talk more about some of this history and uh, this commemoration of 150 years of the Mescalero Apache Reservation. And we're also gonna talk about the future and with our two councilmen and also our cultural assistant for the Mescalero tribe, we're gonna learn more about what's in store for the Mescalero going forward. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not gonna be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Native America Calling. We're focusing on the Mescalero Apache tribe today. They recently commemorated their reservation boundaries established 150 years ago. And there's still time to share how your native community acknowledges historical timelines. Talk with us live on the air by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Or perhaps you are a Mescalero Apache tribal member yourself listening to the show and you would like to add to our conversation. You're more than welcome. Again, that number 1-800-99-NATIVE. One of our guests today, Pascal Njadi, is the language and cultural assistant for the Mescalero Apache tribe. And earlier, Pascal, it was mentioned that uh, you helped produce a film uh, for this commemoration. Tell us more about that documentary. Sure. You know, I, I, I was thankful for the tribe for uh, considering the significance of 150 years and what it means to us as a Mescalero Apache people to... Uh, put the idea out on capturing this moment in time, this 2023, and preserving it for for the future. And so I was able to to work alongside other tribal members um, in 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 a unique skill set. You know, uh, movie making or documentary making or you know being creative on the computer is is uh, a task in itself. And I'm glad that you know I had some. Um, great assistance, great, some great help to put this film together. But what I wanted to really capture was the feelings and thoughts of today. You know, I spoke earlier about, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, that attitude uh, is, is, would be different from today. So I wanted to capture that, that opinion of, of the Mescalero. So this documentary covered several chapters, I guess, of Mescalero life. I, I, we discussed the language we discuss, uh, maybe some foods we discuss, 
the future. Um, and, and that was to capture those moments and put it onto a 30 minute film was, was uh, such an honor for myself. And when I was explaining this subject to the tribal council, you know, I told them, yeah, you know, we get 30 minutes of footage that everybody can see on the screen. But what people don't realize to get 30 minutes of, of a film together, you have to capture 20 hours worth of, of interviews, 20 hours worth of video, and, and put that all together to make something that's uh, very nice. So the tribe now has, you know, hours and hours of, of discussions with our tribal members about today. So that's very important for me to to capture. Well, that's great. You're able to document so much of that rich history there through all this uh, footage that you were able to capture. And, and Pascal, also, there is a, a medallion, a coin that's been created to commemorate the 150 years. Can you tell us about that? Sure. You know, again, this is this goes a bunch of kudos back to the uh, Mescal Travel Council in in realizing this event. But one thing that, uh, of course, we want to put together and remember this occasion uh, is a memorial coin that our people can hold and, and cherish and keep together for for generations to come. You know, go, go, starting with this video, going around doing interviews with some of our elderly tribal members, they always talk about the coin from 100-year celebration. And I was able to see a couple of those coins, and, and they're beautiful. They're, they're wonderful to have and put it together. But I believe this, this picture of, of the coin is on NativeAmericaCalling.com, and I'll, I'll talk about it real quickly. Uh, but this coin is two-sided. One side it has our Mescalor tribal emblem. Well, on the back side, it has the Mescalar Apache Indian Reservation sesquicentennial commemorating 150 years, 1873 to 2023. Uh, I put onto the coin uh, a, a male figure and a female figure that uh, dress the, the Mescalero style. Uh, earlier, Councilman Dekai recognized the three different bands, La Pan, Mescalero, and Chiricahua, that's on the reservation. However, I wanted this coin to best represent the Mescalero people. Uh, so I have them um, there in their Mescalero attire. I have a teepee. Uh, the Mescalero people were more plains uh, style of Apache, so they, they recognize the use of a teepee with uh, bison skins. I also put into the coin uh, several elements of, of of our surroundings. I put a sunset, I put some trees, and I put some pollen, some, some cattail. Also right in the middle of the coin, I put the what we're named after, the mescal plant. Um, mm. You know, the, the name Mescalero is a Spanish Spanish name. And our tradition, and it means people who eat mescal in the Spanish language. But our Indian name, our Apache name is Inundonde meaning people of the Mescal. So to to us, our, our traditional name is, is more, we're part of this world experience, that we're part of the animals, we're part of the trees, we're part of the, the skies. And for us to be part of the Mescal, calling us people of the Mescal, that's a very significant uh way of looking at your namesake. Uh, but mm -hmm. now, you know, we're, we're Mescalero Apache uh, 
tribe, and, and we're very proud of it. Um, and we recognize that, you know, the Mescal is a central part of our name and a central part of who we uh, cherish, cherish our past, and then we'll continue that going forward. Pascal, you mentioned the significance of the mescal plant, but also you mentioned the bison. And if I'm not mistaken, the Apache people were once bison hunters centuries ago. Oh, there, there were. There, I'm going to call it the greatest bison hunters ever. I'll, I'll call them that. Um, you know, being here in, in South Central New Mexico, the bison herds didn't really come down. Maybe down towards the Rio Grande, they came. They they migrated south uh, during the winter. And settled into Texas, and then uh, when it got the weather changed, they went up north. So the Mescaleros time their adventures during this time period. They would go uh, far east, as maybe like Hobbs and, and Lubbock, Texas, in that area, to watch these these huge herds that are migrating north and south, and and they would 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 pick whatever they needed for their survival for the six months and then and the herds migrated north or south and they went back out for for another six months but during this time period of of bosque redondo in 1860s or so the united states government found a way to cripple native communities it was to drastically hunt and kill as many bisons as possible so during this period of time in the 1860s is the United States government just demolished all these huge bison herds where mm -hmm. it impacted not only the Mescaleros, but impacted all the Plains tribes, all the way from Mescalero all the way up to, you know, um, uh, up north, maybe Cree country and, and Crow country, Lakota country, that it just decimated Mescalero uh, people plus those other native tribes. But, you know, bison was a huge thing for us. Uh, here recently, when we did our celebration um, in May uh, May 29th, we did uh, butcher two uh, bison's to commemorate that the bison's were a huge part of our community back then, and and uh, they still uh, hold respect to us today. Okay, well, thank you for those additional insights, Pascal. And I want to go back now to Councilman Dwayne Duffy and. Councilman, uh, there was a, a commemorative coin made at the 100-year anniversary. There's a new coin now for the 150th year, and I imagine in another 50 years uh, for the bicentennial, there'll be a coin for that. So with that said, Councilman, tell us more uh, about the future. The Mescalero tribe has had so much economic and cultural success. What do you folks have your eyes on next? So looking at the future of the Mescalero Apache tribe, you know, and we ask, where do we go from here? And the only answer is up. Um, again, there there are so many opportunities that exist here on the reservation, and you know, you, you sitting at at my seat and considering the possibilities, and you know, looking at ways on how we improve the lives of our tribal citizens and make it easier. And so, you know, looking at uh, you know solar uh, solar power generation, you know, opportunities to help cut electric bills to help. Uh, you know, to ease that burden on our people, um, looking at other economic opportunities. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, um, you know, bringing in, a, you know, manufacturing jobs. We have access to move uh, product and, uh, you know, and of course that offers better jobs to diversify our tribal economy. And of course, diversify the kind of jobs we're able to 
provide our tribal citizens, you know, one of the things that we encourage our young people is to go off, get educated, uh, and then come back. But when they're coming back, we have to ensure that we have jobs available for them to come back to and that they're competitive, that, you know, we're, we're paying our tribal citizens competitively. And so, um, you know, looking past gaming, looking, looking at things like agribusiness and expanding our footprint there and, uh, you know, expanding in areas uh, such as ecotourism, um, you know, as I stated before, in manufacturing and renewable energy. And so these, all these um, avenues are there and all these, uh, you know, opportunities exist. And we just have to uh, start laying the foundation and moving forward. Obviously, this means that we are going to be able to offer uh, better quality service to our tribal members, uh, you know, a better quality of life to ensure that we are uh, lowering the number of, of homes that we are short on a reservation, ensuring that our infrastructure is up to date, that we're providing clean water, that we're uh, properly disposing of uh, solid waste and, you know, uh, wastewater, that there are jobs, uh, that are plenty of jobs and, uh, you know, a variety of jobs available to our tribal members and to to grow uh, the, uh, continue to grow the economic, you know, uh, power of the reservation. Um, you know, to be a leader in not only uh, politics here in New Mexico, but at the country, and to take what we have learned and work with our, our sister, uh, sister, sister tribes, and uh, you know, so that way people aren't reinventing the wheel. You know, one of the things that we are very prideful of here on the reservation is the Mescalero Apache Telecom Company, uh, because of their hard and innovative work. Uh, as of today. 95% of the homes and businesses on the reservation have fiber to the home. And so they've been a leader in Indian country in uh, getting fiber into the ground, providing internet and uh, phone services. And I believe by the end of this year, it'll be a hundred percent. And so, you know, using what we have learned in the arena of telecom and internet services and, you know, working with other tribes who want to get into that same arena, you know, we're, we're all about it and all about supporting one another. And so looking at the future, it's bright. There's a lot of opportunity. And we just have to, uh, as tribal leaders, as a tribe, uh, together we have to be progressive in our thinking and in our approach. At the same time, we have to ensure that we are doing uh, everything we can to preserve our language, to preserve our cultures and our traditions, and, and ensuring that the younger generation remember how pertinent the Apache way of life is to them today and, and and moving forward. Councilman Duffy, I appreciate all those insights and that you mentioned the, the big push there for broadband because I know tribal leaders all over in the country are, are, are working hard for tribally run broadband services. So wonderful to know that Mescalero Apache Tribe continues to be a leader in that regard. And I, I want to go back to Councilman Jacob DeKai here. We're going to have to wrap up in a couple of minutes, but Councilman DeKai, I'd like to give you the last word today. And, and what are you most excited about with regard to the future of your people? And also, what do you tell the young people there at the Mescalero Apache Tribe uh, about what to look forward to and where they need to be to, uh, to make the most of the next 50 years for your people? You know, definitely, I um, see a sense of pride in our younger generation because I am the youngest tribal council member uh, I'm currently on, on the council. And, you know, I, I do feel for them because I can relate to a lot of their struggles. 
uh, in terms of when it comes to tribal politics, you know, um, as far as they're, they're, they feel their voice is being left out, um, you know, and that's that's what really inspired me to also, you know, I, I aside from being on the council, I actually serve as the tribal deputy tribal historic preservation officer for the tribe. So I've I, uh, been there for seven years, but in, in my time in that role, um, I have come to learn a lot of the history, and it has made me um, more prideful, more grateful for where we have been and, and remembering uh, the trials and tribulations our people have been put through uh, just for us to be, be able to say we're still here today. Uh, but also, you know, with the um, pandemic uh, finally eating up, it was a big wake-up call for our tribe to to want to uh, expand our economy and want to uh, provide more things for our tribal members to be uh, more independent in the future. Uh, should anything else like that uh, happen, you know, in in the world, uh, we want to make sure that our people are more uh, stable. Uh, you know, uh, self-sustaining people, um, rather than just relying on on our one uh, resort that we have here in Mescalero. Uh, so we are, you know, wanting to develop um, more economic revenues for for our people to better self-sustain ourselves. And the reason why I'm proud of that is because it we are finally uh, moving forward as a tribe, uh, wanting to. Um, develop those those uh, revenue streams for our people. You know, with that, you know, more education for um, the youth, uh, better quality education as well. Uh, but also, you know, I want to encourage uh, younger generations within our tribe, you know, to keep pushing forward. Uh, it's because of their efforts, we are still moving forward. Um, we're going to have to, I'm sorry, Councilman DeKai, we're going to have to wrap up the show now, but appreciate you uh, chiming in there with those final words for our show today. And thank you, Councilman DeKai. Also, thank you, Councilman Duffy. And also, thank you, Pascal and Jotty, for joining us today and sharing insights and perspectives of 150 years on the Mescalero Apache Reservation. Hope you'll join us on NAC again tomorrow. We'll focus on the network of experienced volunteers and professionals who are on call to help search and rescue operations on tribal land. Until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Summer vacation time is here and you're invited to get to know Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Mariachi Spectacular Concert and Conference brings vibrant artistic, cultural, and ethnic mariachi maestros to teach and share the culture of the music and its history. Legends such as Stefan Carrillo, Mariachi Cobre, and Jose Hernandez of Sol de Mexico provide a truly unique and extraordinary music and educational experience July 12th through the 15th. The Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department supports this show. Support by Amerind. 
Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amarant works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.